and welcome back to Tea Crime, the podcast about true crime. Today's episode will be a little different from what I did in the past as I will not be focusing on the victims but I will be focusing on the life of the serial killer and this serial killer is John Straffen. In recent decades, many defense lawyers have begun to use this loophole of mental instability when the crimes of a killer are so evident that it is not possible to challenge them and therefore they aim at a recovery of the accused. But John Straffen actually had major psychological problems both by birth and death by illness. However, this did not stop him from killing at least three innocent girls. So John Straffen was born in 1930 in a military camp in Bordon in the county of Hampshire, England. And before him, his older sister was born with severe mental deficiency to the point that she died of complications in 1952. He too was diagnosed with a problem with the cerebral cortex, but the doctors were hopeful that growing up he would recover to live a normal life. His father, John Straffen Sr., was a soldier in the British Army and was sent to various places during the war. And because of this, when John Jr. was only two years old, the whole family moved to India and they spent six years there. When John was six, he had severe encephalitis which compromised his psychic faculties to the point of having a mental deficiency. In March of 1938, Straffen's father took leave of the army and the family settled in Bath in England. Even then, the child's behavior worried the parents because of his aggressive attitudes and sudden outbursts of anger. So, in October, John's teachers asked that he be subjected to a clinical examination for various thefts, assaults, and school escapes, but the father strongly opposed. In June of 1939, John ended up in a juvenile court for the first time for stealing a bag from a girl and attacking her with a stick, and he was given two years of probation. The security guard noted that Straffin didn't understand the difference between right and wrong, nor the reason for that punishment. So Straffin's parents were constantly looking for a job and didn't have the time to look after their children, so it was the security guard who took the boy to his psychiatrist for his periodic checks. So in his sessions, Straffin was diagnosed with severe mental deficiency accentuated by the illness he had contracted in India. The report on him was drawn up in 1940 when he was 10 years old and stated that his IQ was 58 and his mental age was 6. From June of 1940, the local authorities sent him to a school for children with mental deficiency, the school of St. Joseph in Sanborn. Two years later, the Straffins moved to Bestford and John lost the friends he had made. He became very lonely and took corrective school very badly. At the age of 14, he was strongly suspected of having strangled two geese owned by the school but no evidence was found on him. At the age of 16, his IQ was 64 and his mental age was 9. And the rector of the correctional school strongly advised his parents to entrust him to a mental health institution. The Straffins went back to Bath in March of 1946 where the medical officer of health examined John and confirmed an obvious mental deficiency, but the father insisted on treating him like a normal person and tried to place him in various factories as a laborer. At the beginning of 1947, Straffin began to steal from surrounding houses, but despite complaints, the stolen items were never found in his home because he took them to his hiding place in an abandoned factory not far away from where he lived. On July 27 of 1947, a 13-year-old girl that was on a trip to Bath went to the police to report a boy named John who had attacked her and had threatened her with death. But for some reason, the police never connected John Straffin to the case. Two months later, a neighbor caught him in the act as he strangled five chickens in a span and denounced them to the police. Straffin confessed to this fact, the assault on the girl, the thefts, and many other incidents to which he had not been looked up to until that moment. 
He was held in custody and the Horfield prison medical officer who examined him again attested that he had a mental deficiency. So on October 10, Straffen was sent to Bristol in the Hortam colony for mental deficiencies. Hortam specialized in recovering mental disabled offenders and reintegrating them into the community. Straffen found himself very well in this facility, so in July of 1949, he was declared no longer dangerous and non-violent to the point of being sent to a less secure facility in Winchester. When he got to this new facility, he started being aggressive again, and from the early days, he showed his intention of wanting to return to Hortown. So they tried to cure him in this new facility for a year, but his attitude forced the facility to send him back where he wanted to return. And once he got back to Hortum, he became docile and cooperative again. In 1951, Straffen was deemed sufficiently rehabilitated to grant him a period of unescorted leave. He used that time to get a job in a garden and was allowed to continue to work. When Straffen turned 21, he was reevaluated by Hortum's doctors who extended his leave for another five years. On July 10th of 1951, Straffen probably witnessed an event that upset him. A young girl named Christine Butcher was strangled in an alley and perhaps John was there to see what happened. The killer was arrested and brutally beaten by the police before being taken to the police station. This would explain what happened just five days later and the resentment that Straffen began to harbor for the police, guilty of having ruined his life since he was eight years old. On July 15, Straffen was on his way to the cinema when he met Brenda Goddard, who was five years old, who was playing in her parents' garden. According to Straffen's statement to the police, he offered to play with her, but as long as he followed her to a grove not far from her. Straffen lifted Brenda over the fence, but as she fell, she hit her head on a rock and passed out. Straffen saw blood flow from the girl's head, and at that point he felt an irresistible force that led him to strangle her with his own hands. He didn't even make any attempts trying to hide the body, he just left the body lying there and quietly went off to the cinema. The police considered him as a suspect in the murder and questioned him on August 3rd. John admitted the murder, but a prison psychiatrist claimed that the man was unrelated to the facts because he knew he was a suspect and simply wanted to annoy the police. Because earlier, Straffen confessed to him that he hated all authorities and that he wanted to make them pay for ruining his life. So Straffen was released on August the 8th. He went back to the cinema where he met Cicely Batstone, a nine-year-old girl. Cicely went to the cinema with a friend and her friend's mother, who, when they left the cinema, put her on the bus that would take her home. Straffen got on that same bus and got off at the same stop as the child. When they got off the bus, he strangled her to death in a meadow and he didn't really care about the witnesses who had seen him with the child. Several people gave the exact description of the man, and that man was Straffen, who was then arrested for the murder of Cicely the next morning. When arrested, Straffen admitted to killing Cicely Bastone and also Brenda Goddard. On October 17, 1951, Straffen was tried for double murder, but the only witness to be heard was Dr. Peter Parkers, who was Horfield's medical officer, who reported Straffen's medical history and declared that Straffen was unable to stand trial. So the jury formally issued a verdict that Straffen was mentally unstable and unable to enforce his rights. So Straffen was sent to Broadmoor, that is, a criminal asylum. Here in Broadmoor, Straffen regained a certain peace and tranquility and even earned the role of cleaner. On April 29 of 1952, Straffen went with an operator and another patient to clean some warehouses of the structure, which were enclosed by a wall of about um, three, four meters and looked outwards. 
In the courtyard, there were empty cans and cans piled up to form a small mountain of waste, and Straffin asked the supervisor if he could take care of them. After receiving permission, the officer and the other patient went back inside, leaving Straffin alone outside, so Straffin climbed this uh, small mountain and leapt over the wall. After he escaped, John went to a town close by where he met a lady that was doing work in her garden. He asked her if he could have some water, so the lady invited him in and they stayed there for a while. He then left her house and asked another lady for a lift to the nearest bus stop. But when they got there, he saw some men wearing the Broadmoor uniform, so he ran trying to get away, but he ended up getting caught. During his escape, another little girl named Linda Boyer went missing. She was riding a bike in her backyard and was later found dead by suffocation far away from her house. So back in Broadmoor, police went to talk to him. They asked him random questions and didn't mention the death of the girl not even once. And it was John that had brought it up. John kept saying, I didn't kill that girl. It wasn't me that killed that girl. But the police didn't believe him and they arrested him for the murder of Linda. He was trialed again for murder, but this time the jury found him capable of understanding and willing and issued a guilty verdict. The judge had sentenced Straffin to death and the execution date was set for the 4th of September, but Queen Elizabeth II uh, pardoned him so his death penalty was suspended. So after his death penalty was suspended, Straffin was locked up in Wadsworth Prison and in 1956 he was transferred to Horfield Prison in Bristol and in 1968 he was moved to Franklin prison uh, where he died on November 19 of 2007 at the age of 77. Up until his very last day he kept denying the killing of Linda and kept stating that he was innocent but no one in the system ever believed him. So to this day a lot of people agree that regarding that last killing Streffen was innocent. As I said before, John Straffen had a deep hatred for the police and killed these people to make them lose lots of money and time. For the first few killings, he openly admitted that he killed those girls and in their interviews he expressed his hatred for the police, making this one of the reasons why he made those killings in the first place. But when coming to the murder of Linda, he didn't admit it and kept telling he was innocent. We also need to remember that his mental age was the one of a child, so he didn't really understand right from wrong and he was even kind of proud of the murders that he committed, admitting without hesitation that he did them and if it really was him, the person that killed Linda, he would have done the same as the last two murders and admit he did it. But instead, he kept denying it up until his very last day. A child, or a person that has the mental age of a child, is incapable of keeping a lie like this going for this long. Now, coming to the physical evidence, there are some things that don't add up, and that's why lots of people think that he was innocent. Starting with the fingerprints, there were no fingerprints or trace of DNA that belonged to Straffen on the body of the little girl, nor on the bike. Now, again, he has the mental age of a child, which means covering his trace and trying to take away his fingerprints will never even cross his mind. Now, what's really strange is that there were found nail marks on Linda's neck. So, firstly, if John really was the killer, he would have left some DNA or fingerprints on her neck. But also, in his previous murders, John has never left nail marks on his victims. He used to bite his nails a lot and when he got to Broadmoor, his nail biting got even worse to the point where his nail got very very short, almost non-existent, making it impossible for him to leave any nail marks. So unfortunately we will never know if John Straffin really was innocent and was being framed as he told he was or if he was the actual killer. This will always remain a mystery.
So thank you for listening to this last episode of Decrime.